Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, a weekly podcast for BJJ enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. And here are your hosts on the Jiu-Jitsu of Life, Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. Welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life podcast. This is episode number 174. Yo, yo, yo. It's good to see you, my brother. See you, man. man. we had some good training yesterday. Mr. Siddiqui has taken a, a <laughs> leap up, man. And the worst thing, like, no. halfway through, you're like, oh, I'm just doing something I learned from you. I'm like, I hate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. Was, you know who else told me the exact same thing, though, was um, uh, Will Caldwell. Yeah. Um, when, uh, well... Kind of two different things. <clears throat> From Will, it was like, Mo, you know, um, start taking the back. Just start choking. That's going to be good for you. Yeah. And uh, from you, pointed out by Kevin, was like, and it was it's such an interesting concept. But, you know, when you're a noob, um, you just, you know, everything is in steps. But he was like, you've got to be like harder and start choking even before you have like in transitions, start yeah. choking in transitions, yeah. attack the neck in transitions. Yeah. And that is something like, you know, I've been practicing since 2013 and I'm barely starting to do now. Yeah. Yeah. But it took me getting choked thousands of times by my best friend in the whole world, Carter Fisk, to learn that lesson. We, you know, it, it makes me wonder, I, I don't, I'm not a very smart person, but I eventually <laughs> learned over time. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair trade, man. I think, I think if, cause, uh, and that's always an interesting thing when people talk about like, you know, there's the classic thing of saying like you, you could offer somebody a million dollars for their black belt, but they would have to forget everything they knew or, or a million dollars to never have learned what they learned in like jujitsu. And most people are going to turn that down, you know, because it's like that, that knowledge, like you can't, you can buy a black belt, of course, you can literally buy one. And you can buy like the ability to sort of regurgitate knowledge. Like I see a lot of people where they can sort of, they can talk about something, but to, to understand the feel of something and the timing of something, that's something you can't buy. And it's also something that's very hard to lose once you get it. That's what I think is interesting about learning something at a certain level is that when you get that timing, that feel, um, that stays with you. So that's something very interesting you said. And I think that, you know, we kind of anticipated talking about something very specific today. And I think we can still talk about it. Yeah. But something you just brought up, more of a philosophical, uh, philosophical question, maybe, mm -hmm. is can you be an expert at something without ever have doing it? Without ever have, yeah, have done, it, doing it before. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that you'll see that a lot, especially in, in academia, yeah. where people say, well, I am, I'll give you an example, I am an expert on this religion, yet I don't practice that religion, but I've read everything about it. Yeah. So that does that make you an expert? Can you be an expert at jujitsu if you read all about it, and you know the history, and you know the techniques, but you've never practiced it? Or is it different, right? Like, depending, there's some things that you can be an expert on without ever having done it, but there's some things that, no, you actually have to do it. Or is it just a universal thing that 
no, in order to be an expert, you have to have done what you're claiming to be an expert in. I kind of lean towards that, right? Like for me, it's, it's how do you claim to be an expert in something, but you've never done it before. And I bring this up because especially in the age of social media, I'm seeing this more and more and more where people have these PhDs on things that they have never practiced, nor do they have friends. Um, they don't surround themselves in those circles. It's yeah. everything is learned from a book. And mm -hmm. because they've read the book and because they passed a test and because they have the uh, title of doctor at the end of their name, they can call themselves experts. Yeah. What do you think? This was actually a debate on, I think it was the Ultimate Fighter 4 between one of my oldest jiu-jitsu coaches, Mark Lehman, and Matt Serra. Mark Lehman was a jiu-jitsu coach um, for, I forget what team it was on that particular show, but he was a jiu-jitsu coach for a lot of MMA guys. And Matt Serra criticized him because Mark was a pretty accomplished jiu-jitsu competitor, but he never fought MMA, but he was a MMA coach or MMA jiu-jitsu coach or that kind of thing. And Matt Serra was like, you're like a, a swim coach who, who's never been in the water. You know, you're, you're, you're a swimmer who's afraid of getting wet. And he's like, how can you teach something? How can you be a coach of something you've never done before? And Mark's response was, you don't have to do something to be an expert on it. So he almost said exactly sort of what we're asking. Um, and that is sort of the, when you look at some of the MMA coaches out there, I mean, or, or even jiu-jitsu coaches, John Danaher, as far as I know, never competed in jiu-jitsu. Uh, Greg Jackson never fought MMA. I think Faraz the Hobby fought a little bit of amateur MMA, but I don't even know if he fought MMA. Um, so you definitely have coaches out there, or I think Customato, I don't know if he ever was a boxer per se. I mean, he was obviously an accomplished coach. Um, so there is something to be said with being a good coach and maybe not having done the thing that you're coaching at, or at least not done it on a professional or a high level. Um, the question I think really is, will people listen to what you have to say? Is what you have to what you have to say worth listening to? And I think that's sometimes more important. You know what I mean? Because there's some people that you're right that like some fighters where they'll never listen to a coach who hasn't been in the ring. They just won't. They're like I, I'm not. They, they straight up say it. And I understand that. That makes that makes sense to me. Um, so that, you know, that coach who may have learned a lot about boxing but never actually boxed, yeah, he may not be the right coach. Um, there's other people where the coach and them just, they clicked well and they, they have some sort of connection and that's what's most important. Um, I look at John Danaher and, and Gordon Ryan as a great example of, you know, probably the best to ever do it in no-gi, Gordon, and John Danaher being his coach. and they connect very well. You listen to them when they explain things. They they explain them in very similar language, very similar delivery. But here in Austin, now we have them, but we also have the B team, which is growing on me, by the way. I like the B team because I like the self-deprecating humor. We're not the A team or the B team. Personally, 
I might have told my told myself I was the B minus team, possibly even the C plus team, just to just to stack <laughs> the deck in my favor a little bit. Plus, we got the C first name thing, so we could kind of kind of use that there as well. But the guy who was supposedly the best coach wasn't necessarily the best coach for all the guys on the B team. He was the best coach for Gordon Ryan, and so maybe those guys in the B team, they needed somebody who was actually out there competing. Maybe that mentally, they just needed that as a coach. So I think in many ways, um, whether somebody's an expert or not depends on the people listening to them and what they get from that advice. Because there's a Kirk Krikorian quote, since I'm on this Krikorian kick, where he talks about economists. And he's like, if economists were expert on being rich, they would all be billionaires instead of people that are working for billionaires. So you can be an expert on something and it's more how people take your advice that matters. Um, because like, what is an expert? Like when you think about an economist, it's like, well, you're an expert on the economy, but, but what does that really mean? Because mm -hmm. are they great at predicting stuff? It doesn't seem like they are. I mean, yeah. then you, cause anytime there's something economists say the economy is going to do this and they're right about half the time and they're wrong about half the time, which basically means you could flip a coin be about the same. And most economists are not making millions of dollars a year. So it's like, I don't know. It's an interesting question, though. I think it really depends on who's listening, because there's some people that like the academic idea of sort of the purity of something. It's like in back to school, like when you have the teacher teaching about widgets and then you got Rodney Dangerfield being like, what's a widget? Tape recorders, you're gonna get killed in the labor costs. He's like, first you gotta grease the local politician. And he's laying it down how business is as he knows it. And it's like, so which is better to listen to? I mean, they both have pluses and minuses because the one who's actually done it, the limitation on that is they're only gonna know the way they did it. And there's a lot of arguments that say, like you could take somebody who did, who was very successful and they could literally come back 20 years later, let's say, you know, because people are always like, oh, they lose all the money, they could regain it all. They could do the exact same steps again and not have the same results because the timing is different, the mentality is different, the, the world itself has changed. So, but if they listen to the more classic expert, maybe they'd be more successful. I don't know, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't have a good answer, clearly. Yeah. Given a bad example. You know, yeah. I, I yeah, this is something that, that's why I think it's a philosophical question. I think it's very dynamic and it'll change as experiences change. But for me, it's just hard for me to wrap my, my mind around someone claiming to be an expert that has never at least practiced what they're claiming to be an expert in. So in other words, I would, me personally, I would have no problem learning from a boxing coach that's never competed, but he's been in the ring, right? He's practiced what he's teaching me. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that that's kind of in line with Dan and her, right? Maybe he's yeah. never competed, but people know uh, his realness, I guess, right? Like he's rolled with yeah. people. They've seen him on the mat. I'll give you a perfect example is our friend KC. Yeah. I would have no problem with him coaching me. Yeah. I don't because we, we all know that his, you know, whatever he's done in competition or hasn't done in competition, it really doesn't matter because we know what he's done in the mat and he's practicing. Same thing with Doc Snow. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think for me, it's just a matter of has the person practiced what it is they're claiming to be an expert in, yeah. not necessarily if they've done it on a professional level or an amateur level or on any level, just whether or not they've actually practiced the techniques or, 
whatever else it is, you know, whatever, whatever skill they're, they're claiming to be an expert in. Because yeah. I don't know, I have trouble with that nowadays where we're seeing that so much where people want to give themselves credibility in a debate. And the way they get themselves credibility in a debate is by adding the letters PhD to the end of their name. And yet they've never really practiced or immersed themselves in that culture yeah. or that environment that they claim to be an expert in, right? It's like yeah. a guy teaching me about jujitsu, but he's never rolled before. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. You know? That, that would be, I, I agree. I mean, that, that would be. I don't know. Yeah, that would be difficult to listen to somebody who who literally is not trained and just read about it. But um, I have heard many people who are like competitive jujitsu people who will not. They're like, oh, if this guy doesn't compete, I, I don't listen to what they say, like on techniques and stuff like that. Like, I they, can see they that, too. And, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of boxers and MMA fighters that, that do the same thing. They would do the same yeah. thing. And yeah. Is, and I think that's more of a, a, a personal, yeah. a personal you know, for me on that, the reason why I can go the other way, where just as long as I know that you've done it, yeah. and um, that's that's all I need, because yeah. I need to know that that you 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 understand the technique um, and that you've actually applied it. Yeah. Because for me, coaching is more about your ability, like you said, to communicate, right? More because I've seen I I've, I've ran into guys that are accomplished athletes in in the professional level and the amateur level yeah. they cannot coach they yeah. cannot teach someone else what it is they do yeah. because they cannot communicate it it's more feel and intuition for yes. them yeah. and they get frustrated when they're trying to coach you because it's like why can't you do what i'm doing yes and it's because you can't show what you're doing because what you're doing is like god given yeah yeah, no, you're right, and I think you know it's it's interesting in the jiu-jitsu world because there's there's so much instructional information out there now. I mean, there's just an enormous glut of information. So to me, it becomes much more about connecting with the way somebody is teaching uh, versus the actual what they're showing. Because it's like, man, you know, you want to take like leg locks or whatever. There is a billion DVDs out there on, on leg locks now. So to me, it's much more, who do you connect with? Who speaks in a way that, that you can listen to? And, and I always use the example of, of John Danaher versus Preet Mickelson, because Preet can literally sit there and talk for an hour and not even show anything. And I can listen to the whole thing. Danaher talks for five minutes and I'm I'm slamming my face on the on the desk because I'm falling asleep. Like I can't. And so to me, it's like I, I know that everyone says he's a great teacher, but to me, it doesn't matter because as soon as he starts talking, I get very sleepy. So it's it's not he's not the right teacher for me, even though he's a great teacher for some people. He's not the right teacher for me. And I think that, you know, sort of, ooh, I think I can tie this into what we also wanted to talk about today. Having that independence of thought and that that sort of confidence of of who you actually connect with and learning from that person, I think is important because that you'll go further that way than just choosing who everyone says is the best, because that's what people are saying at this moment. And sort of going along with that and kind of faking the connection or so it's like when, when I was in high school and there was all this music that I claimed to like, like most of the stuff, I really didn't like it at all. I just, I just knew that if I was going to be cool, I had to pretend that, uh, not only did I like Nirvana, but I liked their album before 
the you know the smells like teen spirit thing. <laughs> like like the one before and the that took a lot of work because this was pre this was pre Google where you couldn't yeah. just Google and figure out like who Nirvana is and yeah. what albums they did. Yeah, you actually had to more work to, uh, go out to there and make research it. it. But yeah, I, I don't like sit there and pretend like, oh no, man, I've been listening since, since like the 80s. And it was a total lie, but you know, trying to hit on a girl. So whatever. Is, is, uh, let me ask you this. Um, is Nirvana, is it Nirvana real grunge? What's real grunge? Man, that's tough to say. That See, it's, it's weird because for people that were not around during that time, pre-grunge music, there was hair muddle hair metal so you had a lot of dudes in metal talking about chicks and the dudes kind of look like chicks because they wore a lot of makeup and they had their hair all fluffed up and all that kind of stuff so it was this weird dichotomy of like i look kind of girly but i'm super tough for all you ladies to know like that kind of that's kind of happening all over again i think it is it might be so it's like so there was that and it was like so glamorous and they you know like the videos were over the top and everything was like all big and whatever. So when Nirvana came around, it's like this dude has got his hair in his face and he's so angsty that he can't even look at the camera. And like, there's a lot of cheerleaders with tattoos, which was tattoos was kind of a big thing at that time period it actually meant that you were, you know, rebellious or something like that. So it was, it was like a totally different thing. And it was like the anti glamor. And it was like, you know, the guy always got this dirty sweater. He's so downtrodden and broke, he can't even afford a new sweater because it's got holes in it. And it's like, it, it turned into this whole thing where it's like people went from being as as glamorous as possible to like as, as grungy as possible. Um, and you see a little bit of carryover with some of the metal bands back then where they tried to like jump on the bandwagon and put on the flannel and stuff like that. And it was kind of sad because I think Music, music. Well, because I think in the '80s, music and and movies were what they should be. They're like fun distractions. And all of a sudden, the '90s is like, bro, no, it's not a distraction, man. This music is life. I'm so sad. I can't. I can't even read anything because my hair's in my face. I'm so. And the reason I'm a little bit bitter about this is because I too rocked a Kurt Cobain haircut when I was 19 with a hair in my face, and that's why I got jumped. The guys came from, one guy came over here, one guy came over here. I had my hair on my face. I couldn't see. Let me ask you this. Um, were you wearing Jinkos? Did you have a skateboard in your hand at the time? I did not. I would have been able to fight back with a skateboard, but no, I, I didn't. I probably had a flannel <laughs> shirt on though. And yeah, I mean, it's partly, so I guess I should thank him because in many ways, well, me getting jumped is what me, what made me sneak out jujitsu. So Kurt Cobain actually introduced me to jujitsu in a weird way. But so you uh, are a Nirvana fan. Yeah, I, I, I am. I guess I am. I just <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, so you brought up something earlier about yeah. the, you know, the B team. Yeah. It's not maybe Danaher wasn't the right coach for them. So now yeah. they're they're doing their own thing. Yeah. Why did they? Why do you think they both came to Austin? Both well, both teams are in Austin. It's funny, man, because you know when when I moved out here in in 2006. Do you think there it's was, some sort of business strategy that they're I, I, think, I think it could be i think it could well first of all i think um so flow sports and flow grappling are based in austin and that's really the biggest um sort of internet site for jujitsu now in terms of that's like they just had a big tournament yesterday i think it's today as well in austin 
Um, all the stuff on flow grappling is usually filmed in Austin. So in many ways, this town has become sort of the epicenter of at least where they do all the big competitions and things like that. So I think that's part of it is in terms of you're just right at the epicenter of the, of the competitive place. Um, I think also just because through COVID, Texas was a pretty open state and a lot of those guys were in New York before that, um, seeing how much New York just completely shut down and seeing kind of the realities of, of what a politician can do to your city. Because if you think about it, if you're a professional jujitsu person and all of a sudden they're saying all gyms are closed and if we find you at a gym, we're going to fine you a certain amount of money. It's like it's basically saying like your career is over. Until this pandemic is over, your career is over. And as we all know, as an athlete, you have a small window of time. In, in jiu-jitsu, I always say the window is five years. So you got five years. If you're off for two years, that's 40% of your competitive window gone just because of something completely out of your control. So for a lot of those guys, I think they're like, screw that. And you know, being in a place like Texas that's going to be pretty open, um, it just facilitates that. And then I think that... Um, it definitely could be a business decision because if they decide to sort of reunite, now you've got two schools instead of one, I would guess. Um, I think that's part of it as well. And maybe it was something where they decided, oh, we're going to move to Austin. And then at some point it's like, we're just not going to be there with each other. You know, it's like maybe some couple like, like we're going to Austin, we're moving together. And it's like on the drive there. Hey, by the way, about us. Yeah, we're done, but we're still, I'm going to still going to live in Austin too. Yeah. We're like, don't worry, I got you another minivan. And like, you know, he gives her the keys or whatever. And that that's, that's um, the worst breakup ever. So, you know, it could be something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it flow grappling did all those Danaher death squad in Puerto Rico videos, which were kind of lame. They were, they, they weren't, they weren't very funny or particularly interesting, but it was like, they literally finished the last one right when they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're leaving Puerto Rico and the Dan or Death Squad is split up. And it's like, well, that kind of dates this video very quickly. So, um, but yeah, man, I, I think um, in many ways, it's also just symbolic of what Austin has become. Austin has become the place where everybody wants to live. And I know there's people that are specifically moving here now because of jujitsu which is just mind boggling from when I first moved here. There was two jujitsu schools. When I, there's two black belts in all of Austin 15 years ago. So the idea that people are literally moving here specifically for jujitsu now is crazy. It's crazy what's happening. I know. I mean, it's cool, but it, it's just, it's, I, it's interesting being in a city that has changed so much in a, in a relatively short time. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about independence a lot uh, in jiu-jitsu, in business, and it's something that you and I were talking about pre-show, and I think it'd be a good way to kind of end the podcast. Yeah. One of the philosophical questions that you and I were discussing a little bit yesterday after training and a little bit before the show was, what does it really mean to be independent? I think we preach independence. Yeah. But it's really tough to be 100% independent is what I find, right? Like, even if you're a business owner, depending on your business, I would say most businesses, besides a few, which I think we should cover because I think those businesses are important uh, businesses to, to get into at some point. But you're still not 100% independent because you have to 
rely and serve your client and your customer, right? You still yeah. sort of have a boss yeah. when you have your customers and your clients. For sure. Um, and then we were talking a little bit about this idea of the cancel culture, right? Yeah. And, you know, are you truly financial, financially independent if you're constantly being threatened with this, you know, possibility of your businesses being canceled uh, based on, you know, whatever, you not, not, not even anything that's an imminent threat to society. Simply, you just don't believe what somebody else believes. And now because of social media and how things can go viral, yeah. people make these, re, you know, have these knee jerk reactions to things. I mean, we were talking about actors, actors the other day whose careers just, you know, went from like, they were just on top of the world to now you don't, you know, you'll, you'll never see them again. Yeah. And so having that discussion of like, what can you do to be, you know, what, what is it truly, you know, what is truly independent and what are the businesses and what are the lifestyle that you can live to, to, to really be truly independent? Right. And one of the, one of the things that we were talking about, well, let me ask you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, it's, I think anytime you have a business that relies on a type of popularity, like sort of, so we take actors, for instance, I mean, you don't need to see a movie or watch a show. I mean, there's, there's plenty of good stuff out there. There's plenty of bad stuff out there, but your life will go on just fine. I mean, because there's literally people who never watch movies and never watch TV shows. uh, And and they're usually just fine, even though there's, you know, you have nothing to talk to with those people, but, but they're fine. So it's not a, it's not an essential thing to life. Um, so it, it's kind of almost like live by the sword, die by the sword in that type of business, because it's like, well, why is one actor popular now versus, you know, a, another time? And and outside of somebody like Tom Cruise, I mean, there's very few actors that are popular decade after decade. I mean, if you look at the the popular actors of the 80s or the, you know, or even the 90s, there's a lot of them where it's like, man. I have no idea what this person is doing anymore. They're, they've completely disappeared from that, you know, public sphere. So um, that kind of business, I don't think you could ever be independent. Like, I mean, it, it's a scale. You're right. It's a sliding scale of independence. But that one, you are particularly dependent upon how the public looks at you. Politicians is another one as well. And we've seen this with politicians where, you know, Maybe uh, somebody finds their laptop or something like that, and they have things on it they shouldn't, or or, or they, you know, wh- whatever it might be, you know, they they do something that that changes people's opinion of them. That's all they really have is is sort of perception. So I, I look at things like that um, as something further on the on the dependent scale of things. When you go down to the independent scale of things. You and what you sell, the service, the business, the the real estate, whatever it might be. To me, if you can separate those two things, and we were talking about um, somebody who's infamous, so we don't necessarily have to name who it is, but it's like you could be living in or or doing business in one of this guy's properties and not even know it. So the idea of like, you're just never going to do business with this person, it's like you probably already did. So with me, with, with that, when you have sort of an anonymity towards your product and you can still make money and be completely anonymous. I think that's as close to being independent as you can be because you're, you're making that money. Um, 
And aside you, from real estate, what are other businesses where people can do that? I mean, that's why I, I believe everybody, everybody, yeah. your end goal should be to get into real estate in some form or fashion. It should be, in my opinion, a large part of your business portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Um, but regardless of what business you're in, your end goal should be to store cash in real estate, because I think yeah. real estate is one of the businesses where you can truly be independent. You can put uh, businesses or you can put real estate under trusts. You can put them under LLCs. You yeah. can put them under anonymous LLCs. You can create all these types of smoke screens to create yeah. a lot of anonymity for you yeah. and your family, yeah. um, but still receive this passive income that comes in from rent, right? Yeah. yeah. And I like that idea because what we see nowadays, and I don't know if it's about nowadays, it's probably something like history has shown us that it's been going on forever, but there's just a lot of politics in business now that's just yeah. associated with business, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you and I talk a lot about, you know, taking breaks from social media, and it's because you need breaks from all the noise and all the politics, you know, uh, that surrounds all of that. And it would be nice if you can insulate your business in a way so you're independent from all of that type of thing. So I know real estate is, is a great business to do that in um, yeah. because you can kind of scale it. Like you said, I mean, you can be as loud as you want. You can be as in the forefront as you want, or you can be completely anonymous. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, aside from real estate and aside from maybe owning some, you know, a, a large portfolio of stocks, yeah. um, what are some other businesses maybe? That, I mean, you know, I think uh, I would imagine that most of the trades and stuff like that, if you're, see, I guess it also comes down to, you can have independence to a certain point, but if you start becoming a pain in the ass or too outspoken past a certain point, it's very, it gets harder and harder to maintain. You know, they talk about FU money, you know I mean? Like you might need enough FU money to, to make something happen. Um, if you're willing to stay with relative. the my pillow, with the with, with the uh, my pillow guy, be a good example of that. Yeah, I mean maybe. I, I guess it it sort of depends on how things continue with that guy. I mean, but that to me is an example of it's like, um, you know, you didn't have to. You could have just sort of lived a very very comfortable life and not done anything or not said anything. Um, you know, I, I look at it. I, I think there's sort of a sweet spot of. Making a certain amount of money, but when you get past a certain amount of money, a lot of times that's dealing with public companies. So let's take real estate for example. Um, you know, you can own tens of millions or probably even hundreds of millions of real estate relatively independently, but when you start getting into the billions, most of the time you're getting partners and most of the time you're forming companies that are public companies. So now you're the head of a publicly traded company, and now that stuff matters. Like now, like you know. Elon Musk smoking weed on Joe Rogan's show, like that caused his stock to crash for a little bit. Like people, public perception starts mattering when you're dealing with a publicly traded company. So to me, that's why I always look at it where it's like finding that sweet spot where you have the most independence, but you also have the most power. When you get past a certain amount, you might get more power, but you lose a lot of independence because now you're the figurehead of something and people are watching. And to me, that doesn't. You know, that's such an interesting idea, Carter, because we talk a lot about how money creates independence. Yeah. But too much money can also sort of 
turn you into a slave in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, because now you're you know subject to your shareholders. Now you're subject to your image can can build you power, but uh, a, a misstep can tear that power down. Versus, to me, what I like about real estate, for instance, is that you know as long as you keep doing good deals and as long as you keep building up the right relationships, that's really all that matters. Um, like my my social media presence or lack thereof doesn't matter. My politics don't matter. My like, you know, any of that stuff really doesn't matter. And and, and I like that. I mean, well, it's me, like you said, you don't matter. People yeah. don't even need to know who you are. Yes. Yes. And that's for your businesses to run and be successful. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's I think a smart strategy in many ways is to to give yourself that sort of buffer to give yourself that insulation um for various reasons i mean but i i think that um but that is a that's sort of a finite thing because if you get past a certain amount if you get a certain amount of exposure um you gain some things but you lose some things and that's something that everybody needs to consider um when they calculate out what they want in life you know, I think that's, and that we can bring that back to athletics too. It's like, you can take that with jujitsu. Like you can get very good at jujitsu being a hobbyist, being somebody in their forties. I, I was, I was telling somebody this on, on Reddit again. I don't know why I comment on Reddit. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I think I'm doing, but somebody was like, oh, I'm, I'm 40. I'm thinking about starting jujitsu. Is it too late? And I'm like, no, some of the best guys I know in jujitsu didn't start until their forties. And some of my best training partners are in their 50s or even in their 60s. Um, so this, and none of them were, you know, some of them had grappling backgrounds, some of them did not. So it's it's one of those mm -hmm. things like one of the best guys I've ever met in jiu-jitsu is now in his 70s. He didn't start till he was 48. I remember because I was 24 at the time. Wow. He was twice as old as me. And so you can get really good being a hobbyist. However, if you want to get to elite levels of jujitsu, the best of the best, the people that are competing at the highest level now, you do need to start when you're a kid. You do need to train all the time. More than likely, you need to do performance-enhancing drugs, and you need to be training full-time, twice a day, five days a week, six days a week. So that being said, you're going to give up on a lot of things in life. You're going to give up on income potential. You're going to do something that more than likely, statistically, you're going to fail at. You're going to have that five-year window of success. And you better be damn well set up for that or have some other skill that you're going to develop. Otherwise, you're just going to be a jujitsu coach struggling to get by for the rest of your life. I mean, and so it's like be you know, nice to have some of that FU money. Yeah, hey, let me ask you this. Do you have uh, do you have an anonymous handle on Reddit? No, it says Carter Fisk. Got my picture, everything. So, yeah, no. no oh, I, wow. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so, I, you know, when you get the FU money. Yeah. Um, because you're very close. You're very close. Oh, when you I'm get not. the extra money, create the uh, anonymous handle, and I yeah. just want you to be the mean guy on Reddit, right? Yeah. Like yeah. every response is the emoji laughing. Yeah. Or you would say something like, "Bro, if you have to ask that question, yeah. jujitsu's not for you." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because we we grew up in an era where there was a lot of anonymity on the internet. Like people had all these. Um, I forget what the name, like handle names or whatever. It was like, like your call sign in, in Top Gun or whatever. Like they had all these like silly names and silly things and all that. Like, and it was just, that's how it was. And then at some point it switched, I think around when Facebook became popular where it's like, oh no, you gotta, 
you got to have your actual name on this. You can't be like Mr. Mr. Darkness anymore, whatever your stupid little thing is. You got to be your actual name. And so it, it's kind of a weird thing because was I that was that that must have been one of your no, one of your pre Facebook. It, it wasn't, but it's, like, but it's it's just funny because I think that the internet was a lot more fun back then because everyone's just like, ah, this is like this silly, I'm just goofing on this silly thing. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh wait, you're serious? Oh, okay. Like it, it, it changed at some point, but it used to just be completely anonymous. So it's interesting to see the idea of maybe it goes back to that and you become like the FU money troll or something like, maybe that's my, my handle name, FU money. Like you know, everything they say, I'm like, nah, wrong. <laughs> They say there's no stupid it. questions, but you've proved them wrong once again there, buddy. I mean, you're whatever it could be. So, yeah. Boom. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end the show with the mic drop. Boom. To check out this episode and our past episodes, go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles. Makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic. Robles. We make custom geese. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Check them out. Check out Calum Callista Sneaky Submissions. He has a new DVD that's about to drop. I'm not sure if it's on BJJ Fanatics, but it's going to be Sneaky Submissions Nogi, maybe, I think. But anyways, he wants to come back out on the show, talk a little bit about his technique. So we'll have Calum back out. He's always fun. Uh, Make sure you check out Jiu-Jitsu on the go, Steve Hordensky. And if you're in the Austin area... Check out Chaparral Moving. They have Moving Down to a Science. I am Mo. That is my brother, Carter. As always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the map. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Rulebliss, makers of the world's finest custom jiu-jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at robles.com. You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com. And you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a great week, both on and off the mat.